This is the Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. The Illinois. Cutting through the noise of Illinois politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. Hi again, everyone. Patrick Fingston here. I write the Illinois political newsletter, which you can read every day at theillinois.com, I-L-L-I-N-O-I-Z-E.com. Welcome back to our sort of kind of weekly, sometimes consistent video and audio podcast. We're glad you're here. Uh, we've taken a few weeks off between uh, veto session, which had us a little busy, and, and Thanksgiving, and uh, some cold and flu bugs that were bouncing around our house. It didn't sound very pretty up here, so uh, we've been on the shelf for a couple of weeks in the broadcast department, but uh, we are glad to to be back with you this week um, as we steamroll toward uh, the Christmas season here in uh, the, the lovely state of Illinois. Uh, coming up on this show, we'll talk to Dan Petrella. He is a state government reporter for the Chicago Tribune. We'll also be joined by Representative Cam Buckner, a Democrat from Chicago, uh, former mayoral candidate, uh, former uh, defensive lineman for our beloved Fighting Illini football team. Uh, so look forward to a conversation with uh, Representative Buckner coming up as well. Uh, first, though, I, I think it's it's probably a good idea to to remind ourselves the uh, the situation that we're in with migrants uh, in, in the state uh, and, and really the the bungling of, of the process that that it's been uh, between the state and the city thus far. Uh, the the issue here is, you know, of course, everybody's passing blame and they've been doing that for some time. Uh, but we knew winter was coming and we're going to talk more about about this with Dan Petrella coming up, too. But uh, these migrants have been coming in to to Chicago on buses, mostly from Texas uh, for months. Uh, we we know that Illinois gets cold in the winter and and whether it's the city not having its act together, whether it's whether it's the, the state and city not communicating well, you still had people sleeping on sidewalks and and, and, and in O'Hare and in police departments. And it's it's been a, a complete mess. And the governor came out in mid-November and said, we're going to give $160 million to the problem and, and create these welcome centers and, and try and help build some of these uh, tent city sort of structures. And uh, one of the, the sites that had been identified was at 38th in California, kind of on the Southwest side in Brighton Park, that neighborhood in Chicago. You have a bunch of money put into it, structures going up. And then last second, you get an, uh, an environmental report that shows uh, there's a bunch of toxic chemicals in the dirt and you can't build there. So, so they pull the plug and it's December, 14th, as we record this, they're trying to, to figure out a different shelter idea. The, the tent city isn't going up. Buses are still coming to the city. And, and it's it's been a real problem. The, there have been some transparency questions with, with the governor's office. And we'll, we'll talk with Dan about that, too, coming up. But um, one of the reports that has come out is that uh, this, this botched tent city in Brighton Park 
is is costing the city uh, close to a million dollars. Uh, the the breakdown, the division of of work and responsibility there has been a bit of a question. Uh, the governor was asked uh, Wednesday um, if if the state was on the hook, and and he said no, uh, and and said that that Garda World, the contractor that was building this facility. Uh, was essentially going to to eat the costs uh, that that the state was responsible for. The understanding with Garter World is that they will do other work with us, and they knew as they were building this shelter before the environmental report came in that it was possible that the environmental report wouldn't allow the building, the completion rather, of the shelter. And so they understood that, and they were willing to take that liability on through the state's contract. I can't speak to what uh, may have pre-existed or been in place with the city. Um, meanwhile, they are going to be involved and have been uh, in work to help us stand up other shelters. Remember, even uh, the bricks and mortar shelters that already exist need work. And Garter World is helping us to complete that work very quickly so we can get people sheltered in the right places. I can't speak to that uh, reference that you're making. It sounds like we, we are not, we have not provided funding directly to the city, but we have spent, as you know, more than um, uh, half a million dollars, half a billion dollars already to support the asylum seekers that have come to Illinois. That's on top of what the city has done. And uh, our work has been wraparound services, making sure that we've got everything from healthcare. Um, you know, and food and other things, the services that people need until they can get a work permit. So I can't speak to the, uh, the, the, the amount, but, but we don't transfer funds, at least with regard to asylum seekers, to the city. Um, so that may be a cost that the city bears. Having said that, we're all working together. There's a lot of cost uh, associated with this. We've tried to get the federal government to step up and do what they should be doing, but we haven't seen enough support from them yet. All right, this is a big bungled mess. Let's get more into it with uh, Dan Petrella from the Chicago Tribune. All right, so we've talked a little bit about the uh, mess in in Chicago with the the migrant situation and some of the controversy between the governor and, and the mayor of Chicago. Uh, and and kind of where we stand with this migrant crisis, because this uh, this is a, a crisis that isn't going away. Uh, and and I kind of wanted to kind of get a reset um, from someone who's 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 deeply on the inside and has great understanding and reporting on this. So we're pleased to welcome Dan Petrella, our friend from the Chicago Tribune, all decked out for the holidays. Um, Dan, uh, appreciate taking some time. Let's let's take a step back to uh, I guess it was early November when. When the governor came out and said, we're going to move $160 million out of the uh, existing state budget, uh, out of DHS, Department of Human Services, uh, to put toward the, the migrant crisis. Uh, he and I kind of got into a spat a few weeks ago because his his administration still hadn't released a list. They still haven't given me a list of the uh, of, of the, the line items. I guess you eventually got one. Uh, what's the... Where's the money coming from and, and why um, why did the governor in your conversations feel like they needed to step in? Yeah, so the money is uh, mostly from their breakdown, um, which I actually got after you raised the question with the governor and they said the list was out there, which I had also not seen at the time. 
um, mostly is coming from the the existing DHS budget. They're doing things like um, uh, redirecting a portion of the um, temporary assistance for needy families block grant, um, which you know is a is a program that helps uh, low income families. Um, about thirty five million dollars of that they're redirecting. Um, there's other money that's coming from um, the Home Illinois program, which is the state's homelessness prevention program, about $9 million there. Um, and then a variety of other grant programs that they're, that they're uh, freezing and redirecting. One of them is the, um, some money for the uh, welcoming centers, which is um, maybe more directly related to the, the migrant crisis because those are, are um, centers that are supposed to help uh, new immigrants to the state. Um, but to me, the most interesting part was the, um, $40 million that they're hoping to get in a grant from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, uh, which is about a quarter of the money that they've promised to the city of Chicago, uh, which is actually, they're hoping, coming from the federal government, uh, which is not quite in line with the way it was initially portrayed as the state stepping in and providing state dollars to um, to help the city uh, shelter folks over the, the cold months here. And that's not money in hand yet. No, yeah. As far as I know, it's it's been a little bit since I checked, but last check it was still uh, money that they were, had applied for and were hoping to get, but it had not been uh, awarded. It's interesting because I I went through the budget, uh, you know, after all of this, and and there's already two hundred and thirty some million dedicated to to the migrant situation here. Um, and, and I'm I'm not alleging or arguing that it shouldn't be taken care of. These are people, these are humans, they're here legally, which I think a lot of my Republican friends continue to hate me say out loud. Uh, but but now we're, t- I mean, if, you, if we're talking 230 in the original budget, another 160, uh, and, and, and this is a, 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 you know, you can say it's a city issue. I think it's a federal issue. Um, who's dropping the ball here? You know, it's it's a tough situation, like you said, and th- that's one thing where um, I think the governor is correct in that he he has said it's a very difficult situation. It's one where um, planning and coordination is hard because uh, the federal government isn't isn't providing um, that coordination at the border. Obviously, there are politicians in um, in Texas who are you know do have political motivations for some of what they're doing. I think they would argue that part of the point that they're trying to prove is that their resources have been strained. Um, by similar issues for a long time. And, um, you know, I think that part of the problem is, um, you know, the the city and the state early on established a breakdown of kind of who was going to do what, and the city was going to be responsible for the sheltering of folks for the most part, and the state was gonna step in and provide, um, you know, support services, uh, rental assistance, case management, those sort of things, which the state has spent an awful lot of money on. I think it's, you know, um, the last total I saw between what was, spent and pledged was somewhere north of $600 million, I believe, um, which is more than the city has has spent to date. Um, but, you know, I think it was was clear to a lot of people who've been watching the situation back in the late summer or early fall that, um, you know, when this latest wave of, of um, folks of buses arriving was was getting started, that the city didn't really have its arms around the, the situation. When, and despite the fact that they were opening, you know, lots of shelters to try and house folks. There were still, you know, at one point more than 3,000 people sleeping in, in police stations and in tents outside of police stations. Um, and the state really did wait until until late in the game to, to um, you know, step in at least and publicly make this announcement of what they were going to do to help out. So I think there's 
there's responsibility all around, um, you know, the federal government leaving it to cities and states to deal with on their own, the state trying to, um, you know, do what it felt it could, but staying a little more hands off the, the sheltering part. Um, and then the city with just um, sort of a, a lack of, I don't know if it's a lack of planning, but a lack of coordination or a lack of, of um, follow through on getting this, this base camp idea, this tent encampment idea off the ground, which is something they had been talking about with the state going back to the summer, um, something that they were taking the lead on, but then needed the state to come in and help with. And then um, that all sort of, you know, fell apart in recent right, I, weeks. I want to get to the Brighton Park thing because it's a, a huge quagmire mess but you know the governor didn't jump in until mid-november or whatever it was and you know it's now december 14th that we we're recording this and and the the brighton park issue has been scrapped they're trying to ramp up an old cvs into a shelter you know the governor was born in california but he's been here long enough to know that that you know winter starts in november in chicago like when when it was clear that the city had not gotten its hands around its arms around this what why did this why did the governor wait so long to to jump in was he was he giving the 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 mayor just enough rope to i hate to use that that old dated expression but but was was he was he trying to see if the city could figure it out? Were they trying to find the money? I mean, he's got the DHS budget. So what, what was the delay? Why did, why did it take so long to, to get this settled? Because we know it gets cold in Illinois. Yeah. You know, there's a lot, and there's been a lot of discussion going on behind the scenes. Um, you know, I, I read a lot of uh, emails that, and things that we get through, through FOIA um, of discussion going on. So I know that these folks are talking every day and it's, you know, it's, really uh i wouldn't say it appears is what i should say that the the governor was very interested in staying with that um as he called it that division of labor that they had established early on but the state was trying its best to not be in the business of being responsible for um for the actual physical sheltering of folks um you know and i think that just came to a point where it was clear that that the city was not going to to um get this off the ground without without some additional help. But again, I, I think you're right. I think the question is, why did it take until, um, you know, it was mid to late October when they were making these plans, finalizing these plans, and then about mid-November to announce the plans when everybody knows, you know, when 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 Johnson first floated this idea, I think it was in early um, September now, if I'm remembering correctly, um, the question was whether these tents were going to be able to withstand the winter weather. So I don't think, um, the cold weather should have caught anyone by surprise. And I do think maybe it's a mixture of, of the governor wanting to allow the new mayor to room to, you know, lead the city. He's argued all along that this sheltering is city responsibility. Um, but I, you know, I think it, it has allowed him to kind of come in and, and um, cast himself as, as the person who's coming in to save the day um, when, you know, there's a possibility they could have, stepped in sooner and and averted some of this mess you mean a politician wants to be a white knight who'd have guessed um but uh so, so this bright uh the brighton part tent city situation that that was started then was scrapped because uh the environmental report came out uh came back ugly to say the least um 
we're now learning that the, the city is going to eat close to a million dollars for that. The state has said that that it won't cost anything out of their pocket. The Garter World is essentially going to eat the state portion of it. Uh, how did this go so badly so quickly? You know, my understanding is essentially the state wanted the city to name where the site was going to be, even though the state was the one um, footing the bill and um, paying the folks who are going to be operating the tent encampment once it opened. Um, they really wanted to leave it to the city to be responsible for selecting the site. A question that I haven't really gotten a clear answer to, despite asking it um, at least one or two times to the governor is, you know, why did the city or why did, sorry, excuse me, the state not insist on having a, a firm backup plan if if plan A fell through, given that everyone knew that there were environmental concerns with the site. Um, you know, I don't know if it was just hard enough to get the, the city to pin down one specific site that, you know, that it wasn't worth the effort to try and, and get them to name a second site. Um, you know, I know the city itself also struggled a lot with finding some of these sites because they um, ran into local objections. They asked aldermen to propose sites and aldermen weren't, um, you know, cooperating with that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's it's uh, been a mess all around. And I think, um, you know, the, I don't know if the, you want to say the saving grace here has been that the number of folks who are waiting for placement in shelters has gotten so low now that there's a question of whether this this kind of encampment that could house up to 2,000 people is even um, even necessary at this time. You know, last, uh, as of yesterday, I think there were fewer than 400 people at the police stations and O'Hare waiting for spots in, in shelters. I think that that leads, and before we let you go, Dan, I think it leads to the the political question here or the interpersonal question is what's what's the relationship now between the governor and the mayor? Because there's been a lot of inside baseball. There's been a lot of discussion and, and rumor out there that, that uh, it's not good uh, between the two. Uh, where do we stand? Because I get the sense, and this is me reading tea leaves, so take my opinion, not reporting, <laughs> excuse me, that, that as I hear the governor talk about the administration, there's almost this twinge in his voice that it's like we're dealing with amateurs. Uh, how 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 did the governor's and the governor and mayor's relationship start and then where is it today and and how how is it going to be fixed have we heard anything about that yeah that's a good question and i think you know to hear the governor tell it publicly it's a good relationship they talk they're on the, you know they're on the same page their staffs are working together but there's clearly um, some kind of disconnect going on here and they are not on the same page when they need to be. Um, you know, I don't think things are quite as tense as they were at times with with Lori Lightfoot. Um, but I do think there's some some repair to the situation. That needs Everything to... was tense with Lori Lightfoot and everybody. <laughs> um, you know, and I think the governor has gone a little further to try to be publicly polite to the mayor than perhaps um, the mayor has in return. Um, his his statements have been uh, maybe a little more pointed, um, you know, and I think the governor has left it to to some of his, um, you know, his staff, his communications folks to maybe have a little bit sharper elbows when it comes to the dealings with the city. And then, um, you know, when he's asked about it, um, has mostly 
positive things to say. I do think it was telling though when he announced this funding that he he did say, um, you know, that basically, you know, we essentially I forget what his exact words were, but um, we tried to let them handle this <laughs> until um, things just weren't moving fast enough, and we had to had to step in. Um, I know that they wanted the mayor with them at that at that press conference where they announced the funding. There were some scheduling conflicts, supposedly, but um, you know, not supposedly. I know he had a um, there's like a firefighter graduation ceremony at the same time or something like that. But um, you know, schedules can sometimes be adjusted to make accommodations. But, but, but there was also some beef too that the mayor let it leak a day or two ahead of time that the state was going to jump in. Yes, yeah, you know, and it was interesting the way he did it because it was right after his first budget passed, which um you know was a i think in general folks were fairly pleased with the budget i think one of the big questions was whether it was actually balanced because they were only allocating 150 million dollars to the migrant crisis and then estimating that their costs were going to be much more but then he sort of uh, yeah dribbled out this fact that the state was going to be stepping in um and then it was a very you know unorderly rollout of that because he kind of hinted at it the first day then the state came out but then the um, city came out on the third day with some of the specifics on the policy, such as the shortened shelter stays and things like that. So from a messaging standpoint, it was, it was pretty messy and um, not well coordinated at all. Our friend Dan Petrella from the Chicago Tribune, read his stuff in your, uh, your Tribune and uh, uh, follow him on the Twitter machine. I still call it Twitter <laughs> uh, because it's still twitter.com to get there uh, at, at Petrella reports. Dan, thanks so much for the time. Happy holidays to you and yours and the little ones. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. You as well. Thanks much. All right. Thanks to our friend Dan Petrella from the Chicago Tribune for his time and uh, conversation on the, the migrant situation in the city of Chicago and around the state. Uh, let's turn now for a legislative perspective. All right. We're happy to be joined now by State Representative Cam Buckner, a Democrat from Chicago uh, who represents kind of a uh, swath of the city from downtown south. Uh, he is a uh, 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 former uh, defensive lineman for my beloved University of Illinois football team. So I even keep a, a an old school helmet back behind me on my desk. So right. I, I hope you appreciate that. Uh, uh, so the, the pride of Morgan Park High School. So representative, thanks for the time. I, I appreciate it. Uh, we're actually going to talk a little bit about college athletics since it's in the it's in the news. And uh, there's some stuff that some state laws have even um uh, impacted recently. So, uh, but I, you know, we just, we were just talking to Dan Petrella about, um, kind of the, you know, maybe I'm being mean saying bungling, but it's, it's, there, there seems to be so much chaos with the handling of this migrant crisis. And, you know, I, it, it just, it doesn't seem like the left hand and the right hand are communicating as someone who, who lives in the city, you know, I don't, as someone who's who's living this every day, what's what's being done right? What's being done wrong? And and how can we improve this? Because it's December fifteenth, and there are still people living in in police stations. Yeah, I'll say this, Patrick. I I think starting at the very beginning, uh, we have to change the way we talk about and and, and look at uh, what's going on with with the migrant and asylum seekers uh, here in the city of Chicago. I've been very clear about the fact that I don't call it a crisis because I don't think it's a crisis. I think we, we have operated uh, in a space where we are uh, chaotic um, because we, we've called it a crisis, but I actually think it's a challenge and an opportunity for the city. Um, I wanna be very clear about this. 
the, the, the lack of ability to address it correctly really does start with our federal partners in Washington, D.C. And the Biden administration, um, the, 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 uh, the members of Congress, uh, the Constitution gives the federal government the exclusive right to deal with immigration and naturalization. Uh, and unfortunately, they have not done that in a way that has been sufficient. And so cities and states are, are having to piecemeal and, and put together um, uh, you know, a plan to, to move forward. Uh, when I say I see this as a opportunity uh, and a challenge, not, not a crisis, it's because um, I've always said that one of the biggest issues in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois when it comes to our future uh, is that uh, we've got to make sure that we can find ways to grow the city and the state. Uh, listen, right now that's happening. The problem is it's happening to us and not with us because, um, you know, we, we haven't, you know, really kind of come together to figure out how to deal with it. But I, I remind folks that, you know, just 20 years after Chicago was was founded, um, you know, more than half of our population was foreign born. Um, we have folks coming from Poland and Russia, Russia and Ukraine and Greece and Lithuania and Bohemia at that point. Um, in China, and then we had uh, Irish immigrants coming in a, a half generation later. And then when my um, forefathers uh, uh, came here from the American South, um, fleeing racial persecution uh, in the second wave of the Great Migration, um, you know, many of these same questions that we're asking today were being asked then when, when other groups were coming here. The, the difference is that um, eventually we put a plan together, right? Uh, and so, listen, I think that uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it seems to be chaotic right now. I want us to, to, to take a step back and think about the smart way to do this. I've also said, Patrick, we don't have a a, uh, a, a immigration crisis here in the city per se. We have a housing crisis. Um, you know, what you're seeing go, go, go on with the migrants is really an exacerbation of a microcosm of what's going on with Chicagoans all around the city uh, who can't afford rent, who don't have places to stay. And so I think we can be creative and bold and, and find ways to come together. I know there's a lot of talk about the governor and the mayor being on the same page. I, I think that we're going to get there. Uh, I don't think that this is a JV versus Brandon problem. I think this is a, um, you know, state versus city issue that's been going on for years ever since, I guess, you know, uh, William Ogden and, and, and Shadrach Bond, right? Um, so I think we, I think, listen, I, I, I choose to be optimistic in this space, uh, but I think the first thing that we have to do is talk about it uh, as a challenge and an opportunity, not as a crisis per se. You get bonus points for the Shadrach Bond reference. Um, we we uh, we appreciate that. Um, uh, you do have an interesting perspective, though, considering you ran for mayor in a race against Brandon Johnson. Um, you know, I I I know that you are a, uh, a you know a good Democrat and a good you know a, a guy that likes to get along with with those. But it's hard not to look at city administration right now or at least the way the city is being run and not see much outside of chaos. Do you disagree with the people who, who think that the Johnson's kind of in over his head right now? Well, so I wouldn't say that. Um, and, and as you know, I, I ran for that position. Um, and I also count the mayor among my, my friends. Uh, there, there's always things that we can do differently. And I, I don't think um, the mayor doesn't need me to, to defend him or to criticize him in, in this space, but what I've tried to do is, is, is offer help from the position I sit in today. Uh, I know the perception is reality for folks often. Uh, and when it seems like, as you said earlier, uh, the right hand and the left hand don't know what each other are doing and, and that folks are siloed and there seems to be not a, a cogent, coherent plan when it appears that way, I know people get a little restless, right? 
Um, and so, you know, what I, I just remind folks, whether it's my friends in, in the city council um, or, uh, you know, the folks who are, are doing staff work at the administration level is that it's not, um, you know, it, we have to find ways to be um, aspirational and inspirational, right, but also operational. People have to see that it's working. Uh, and I think that these are there's some growing pains going on there, but I, I've got full confidence that we'll get to it. So so I didn't bring you in to talk fully on the migrant thing. So so I, I appreciate you uh, uh, giving me a chance to ask on those since we've been talking about it uh, in the show anyway. But I, I wanted to, to talk to you specifically uh, since this has been in the news this week with the Chicago Bears and and their ongoing saga in in the search for uh, potentially a new stadium. Uh, you know, the the idea of Arlington Heights was out there. Uh, there's, there's talk now of, of potentially building a new stadium on the museum campus, just South of the, the current soldier field, uh, which friends of the parks are against. Uh, then there's the idea of funding. How the heck do you pay for it? Cause the, the bears themselves don't have $5 billion that they're sitting on. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of interest in, in government subsidizing a giant project like this. Where do we stand today with the Bears? Uh, you know, I, I think there are a lot of people that thought it was a foregone conclusion they were going to Arlington Heights. Doesn't seem like that now. Where do we stand? Well, well, you know, this is actually a, it's a great way to, to segue, um, given the, the, the last question. I think the reason that the, the, Ar, the Arlington Heights foregone conclusion is not true today uh, is because the, the mayor uh, was able to walk into this space with clear eyes and um, you know, have an honest conversation with the Bears brass about, you know, where he was and, and what needed to happen coming next. So I think the reset button was pushed. Uh, and, and I'm grateful to, to both Mayor Johnson and, and Kevin Warren for listening uh, in that space to figure out what we do next. Now we've got to figure out uh, what we do next. Um, Patrick, I was just thinking about this this morning. Um, in January of 2002, uh, the Chicago Bears played in the NFC Divisional Championship game against the Philly Eagles. I don't even remember that game, uh, led by Donovan McNabb, a Chicago kid, right? Um, they lost that game, I think, 33 to 19. Uh, I remember it because I was a junior in high school and I was working as an usher or a guest service representative, which, which was our, our title, uh, at Soldier Field. Uh, and that night after the game was over, as I walked out the stadium, the wrecking balls began to swing uh, and they were literally pulling the chairs out of the concrete to begin the renovation. What I know now that I did not know then uh, is that you know, that $587 million plan where the Bears chipped in $100 million, um, the NFL chipped in $100 million, and the taxpayers of Chicago were on the hook for the other $400 million through, um, you know, bonds that were backed by the hotel motel tax and, and, and other things, um, that it was a really, really bad deal. It, it was a bad deal because today, you know, over 20 years later, uh, that money is, is still owed. Uh, and I think we we owe $640 million on it now, right? There's, so, there's, there's basically $0 on the principal paid down hard. from the project started in 2002 and was approved by the legislature in 99, I think it was, or 2000, Correct. whatever Correct. it was. But yeah. it's, it is the, the, the amount of money that's still left on that, that pro that project that opened in September of 2003. Yeah. It is enormous. Yeah. So it, it was a bad deal. What it should do is inform us. Uh, to never go down that road again. And so once again, you'll see a thread here. It's my Maybe it's my Christmas optimism. Um, but I've talked about this once again as an opportunity. The, if the Bears are very serious about staying in the city of Chicago, which I think they should be, I think it's something special about the fact that all of our 
professional sports teams to actually play their home games within the the, the confines of the city of Chicago. Um, if they're serious about staying, uh, then we've got to begin to have conversations on what that looks like. Uh, what happens with Soldier Field? Uh, and, and those of us who are students of the history of that building and of, of the Bears, we know that the Bears you know, kind of just ended up there. That place was never meant to be an NFL stadium, which is why it does not present itself as an NFL stadium. Uh, but we have some, I think, some opportunities and some options. I understand um, the advocates who are against building anything on on the uh, the parkland near the lakefront. I just want to remind folks that the lakefront protection ordinance says that there should be no private development, um, and private being that that key piece, which is why I've talked a lot about what kind of public-private partnership we can create uh, that works for both the city and for the bears. But it has to be something that's done, I think, in full public view. The people of Chicago have to know what's going on. They have to have a say-so in this. What's the attitude among your caucus in the legislature about any role for the state in a new stadium? Um, you know, Representative Moylan had had moved, uh, had, had introduced a bill that was very union friendly, uh, trying to help spur development of the Arlington Heights project. We've talked about the political reality of trying to get, what is it, 35 House Democrats to vote to get the Bears to leave the city. I mean, that's 35 House Democrats from the city who, who would have to vote for for that. It's It seems like a tough haul to get that sort of legislation moved in the current political reality. Is that is that a fair statement? I think that's fair. Uh, and honestly, I don't see uh, any circumstance or situation where those of us who represent the city of Chicago uh, could sign on to something that would uh, help the Bears go away, right? Um, you know, the, the Chicago delegation has really stood up and been very clear. And I, I've been one of the loudest voices in this space that uh, we want to find ways to help the Bears stay. But we also uh, have been very clear. I know I've been very clear about um, the fact that I don't believe uh, that public, public dollars should be going for private development, which is, once again, why, why I land back at the space of public-private partnership in a way that works for both the city, uh, the state, and the, the and the bears. Uh, what I also will say, Patrick, is that we've got an opportunity to do something different here. Um, stadium financing has gone a, long, a certain way for a very long time, um, and it's left cities and states on the hook. We know what just happened uh, in Virginia with uh, two sports teams leaving the Washington, D.C. Um, proper District of Columbia area to go to the state of Virginia. Um, and and uh, for, for much of this, I, I blame uh, the NFL uh, and you know their their pressure that they put on these uh, sports franchises uh, to have to have new stadiums every 15 to 20 years, right? I think we've got to change that paradigm for sure. But I want to be clear about this: um, the Bears are in a very disadvantaged position in Soldier Field. They can't get money off the concessions, they don't get money off the parking lots, and they can't have naming rights among other things, right? That, that they're 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 um, counterparts around the league are able to do to make to raise revenue and so and, and it's the smallest stadium in the league in the league in the league right and so all that being true um i think there's a way to bring some 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 smart minds together some people who are willing to have conversations about you know what the financing look, looks like uh if there are ways that we can use this to to kind of deal with some of the city's um prevailing issues uh and and what a, a deal that doesn't look like the 2001 deal would look like what does your gut tell you? Uh, 2033, when the current lease at Soldier Field is up, where do you think the Bears will be playing? 
they're going to be playing in Chicago. Um, now, whether they'll, that will be in Soldier Field or in a different um, stadium elsewhere uh, is, a, is a, a, you know, I'm not sure where that goes. Uh, there is the parking lot that they, they've been talking about. I've brought up the old uh, Lakeside East building, the old black building in McCormick Place, um, which I think there's a way to actually keep the stuff that's above, that, that's below ground there, like the Airy Crown Theater and build above and also maybe find a way to give more park space back to the people, um, which I, I think would be in line with what friends of the park may want. There are also places around Chicago, um, you know, not to complicate this, but there's the South Works facility down on the Southeast side. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on with the 78. Um, there may be some space there. Uh, I've heard recently there may be some space at the uh, the old, the, the new um, uh, Bronzeville Lakeshore, which used to be Michael Reese Hospital, was once slated to be the Olympic Village. Um, and Mary Daly bought that money, uh, bought, bought that uh, that that property about you know, 20 years ago. And so, listen, there, there are some opportunities. Uh, hopefully we can get creative on it. Uh, Representative, I, 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 you've been at the forefront of, of the college athletics issues out there, specifically paying players, the name, image, and likeness uh, situation. Uh, you know, again, former college athlete. Uh, the NIL stuff has has blown up. Um, you know, you, you surely saw the, the, the quote from the, the coach at Nebraska a few weeks ago where he said, essentially, to bring in a good quarterback, it's going to cost the program, the donors, whoever, a million and a half or $2 million a year. Is, is, is NIL backfiring a little bit that, that it's turned the game instead of let's pay the players for, for doing what they're doing instead of completely bilking them to now there's no difference in, in pro versus college. Uh, it, there, there, there has been, I think some unintended consequences in this space and, and I don't mind saying it. Uh, but honestly, uh, when we passed our NIL bill in Illinois, I think we were the last state to pass one and get one signed before the NCAA, you know, made a ruling on NIL. Um, I remember saying from the floor that I, I wish that we did not have to do this, uh, but I felt that because of a lack of action from the NC2A, uh, that we were forced, uh, you know, states around the country were forced to piecemeal and put together some policy that um, would at least address this. Uh, and I, I still feel that way today because I don't think that state legislature should have had to do that, but we were, we were put in a position where we had no other choice because the NCAA did not act. Um, listen, I, I want to remind folks that the NC2A uh, was created, you know, 120 years ago uh, with the help of, of, you know, one of my political heroes, the trust buster, the, the rough rider, Teddy Roosevelt, um, to uh, help with safety concerns for, for college football players. Um, and, you know, over time, it has grown into something that I, I'm really uh, not sure what the NC2A is. It's one of the most poorly run institutions in this country. And while the leadership matters there, whether it's you know, Miles Brand or Charlie Baker or Mark Emmerich or Cedric Dempsey, um, who ran it for a number of years, that's a, a Illinois guy. Cedric Dempsey was from Equality, Illinois, I believe. Um, uh, it doesn't matter who's in charge of it right now because it's, it's built on a flawed premise. And that, that premise is the, the illusion of amateurism. Um, this is a billion dollar nonprofit who, where the, where the laborers do not get paid and then they've created a space where they refuse, they've been derelict in their duty uh, to to put forth any um, prescriptions to, to help us move things forward. And so I actually 
now now people are complaining about NIL kind of being rogue and it being a wild, wild west. That is not because legislatures did what they did. That's not because businesses are paying players to do things. That is because the NCAA has refused and still refuses to step up and create some guidelines here. It's almost like the taxicab industry who uh, refused um, to, to modernize. And then when Uber and Lyft came, uh, they started crying foul. Mm-hmm. Do you see, because, you know, the the way NIL works, and, and maybe we're we're crossing in from a policy discussion to a sports discussion here, and, I, and, and maybe you don't, maybe you see a, 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 an opportunity there, but a swimmer at Illinois or a lacrosse player at Northwestern aren't getting from NIL what Caleb Williams, the quarterback at USC, is getting in NIL sort of sort of deals. Is there an inherent inherent unfairness to the the whole setup? Because even if you're a college athlete, it's still only the superstars. It's the LeBron Jameses of college that are that are making the the big money here. Well, I, I actually will push back on that a little bit. I, I think, well, I know for sure when we began to do this work in Illinois, we, we knew that the starting quarterback at Illinois or the starting point guard at Northwestern was going to have an opportunity to make a lot of lot more money than than uh, regular than most folks, uh, but what we also knew is that um, the the women's softball player uh, at Western Illinois, who may be a fan favorite on campus in Macomb and uh, has a big social media following, can get a contract to to endorse the the pizza place or you know the the burger place um, and make more money. Uh, than she would have uh, otherwise, especially for folks who won't have the opportunity to make money uh, through their sports in the pros after college is over. That's who I was thinking about. Um, you know, the, the the guys and gals who are going to make it big, are going to make it big no matter what. And maybe this is just a, um, you know, them getting it a little bit earlier, but it, it, was, it was the folks who wouldn't have an opportunity uh, to make money off their own name, image, and likeness uh, and, and really... Um, needed that that space to do so that I was thinking about. And so I think it's a double-edged sword. Uh, yes, the, the, the people who uh, are bigger superstars are going to make more money. That's the way the operation is going to work regardless, right? But um, I also think this is a opportunity for those who we may never hear from again after they leave campus uh, to, to share in the largesse. Representative Cam Buckner, Democrat from Chicago. Uh, Representative, appreciate the conversation. Lots of stuff we could have continued to talk about. Uh, uh, maybe we can get into it next spring when we can catch up in Springfield. We'll love to, Patrick. Thank you for having me, man, and Merry Christmas. Same to you. Thanks so much. Thanks to State Representative Cam Buckner for his time. Appreciate the conversation and perspective on on uh, some of these issues that are out there. Uh, a lot more I wanted to get to with him as well, but we kind of ran out of time, so Hopefully we'll have a chance to sit down with him uh, in Springfield this spring and uh, do it again. Also, thanks to Dan Petrella from the Chicago Tribune for his thoughts and, and reporting and the work that he's doing covering state government as well. We appreciate your time and and uh, your interest in, in, this, in this political uh, arena and podcast and newsletter and all the work that, that we're doing here. Let us know how, how you like our content, what you'd like to, to see or hear or who you'd like to hear from. Uh, would love to hear your opinions. Uh, if you have any year-end thoughts, drop us an email, mailbag at theillinois.com, and we'd love to talk to you about it. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great weekend, everybody.